We're going to be in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. Just one verse to start us this morning. John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I'm so thankful that's not what Jesus came to do. I am come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Amen. Why don't we pray that God would speak to us in His Word this morning. Lord Jesus, Lord, we're so thankful for this time together, Lord, with believers. I pray, Lord, as we begin to open Your Word, Lord, as its Scripture says, let it be quick and let it come alive in us. Lord, let us be encouraged by Your Word. Let us have understanding and knowledge and wisdom because of Your Word. Let it change something inside of our spirit and our soul, we pray today, that You would have Your way in this place, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Amen. Seems like there is a lot that's going on and lots of good things and maybe some things that are not what you would desire. And, uh, but God is here. God is here. And He has come that we might have life. Amen. Uh, missing Pastor and Sister McBride this morning. They've been texting back and forth to us. And so they are doing well. They're doing fine. And I think we have a, a short greeting from them in the next service, in the worship service, so you won't want to uh, miss that. Yeah, but uh, we're glad they can be there, but I'm, I'm glad when they can come home. I, I, I miss them. I miss them. The scripture that I read says that the thief cometh, our enemy, our adversary cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. We know that Satan, that is Satan's desire for us. And throughout the scripture, we can see his hand as he works these desires to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Maybe none is so transparent as in Job, and we won't go through a lot of the story, but understand in the story of Job, we understand the enemy's intent. Satan hated Job because of Job's dedication to God. You know, we, we've said it before, but there used to be that cliche that you just live for God and everything's going to be good. Oh, no. You set yourself up for a conflict. Everything was going the way of your enemy. We were born into sin. We were born into iniquity. And until there is a change, until we have been reborn, a second birth, there is no conflict that your enemy is that concerned with. But it becomes an enemy when we live or when we began to serve God, when we began to serve Him. And it is not so much that Satan hated Job or that Satan hates us that much. We have to understand it's really not even so much about us as it's about His hatred for God. If God loves us so much and He desires to give us life and that more abundantly, and there's this spiritual conflict that is going on, guess what? He's like, if I can't touch Him, I can touch them. And so that's why he desires so much to steal, to kill, and destroy from us is because he's the only way that maybe some way he can affect God's will in our lives. God has a desire to bless us, to touch us, to save us, to forgive us, to deliver us, to heal us. But if he can get in for a moment, then God's will is not done in our lives. And so we see that Satan surmise that if Job was not so blessed, that Job would turn from God, that Satan could destroy him. And so he seeks to prove that Job is not 
a genuine. It's not a genuine worship. And he asked to take his wealth. He asked to take his sons. He asked to take his health. And then his friends and his wife turned on him. And all of a sudden, simply this, because Satan desired to have Job's soul. He wanted to destroy him. I, we, we won't go much more into that story, but I, I want to pause here for a moment. If you find yourself in the situation like this where everything, wave after wave, it does not mean that God does not know where you are. That's what I love about this story. We, we get to glimpse into the, into the spiritual. And this, in Job, is not a parable. Everything that we understand about the detail here is not a parable that we have to think, well, it could be like this. This is actually what happened. And so we get a glimpse into this spiritual battle and conflict that is happening. But what we know from this is that God knew where Job was. And even though he didn't feel like it, Job or God had already put his hands around about Job and said, Satan, there are some things that you are not going to be able to touch. There are some things that you just cannot have. I'm so thankful that God knows where I am. He knows what I struggle with. He knows where I am. And even though the waves sometimes crash over us and we feel that God has abandoned us, the story of Job says, no, I know where you are. And if you'll hang on, it's going to be all right. Thank you, Sister Kathy. You got it. It's going to be all right. Oh, it's going to be okay. Now, not if you give up before the ending. It's not. But if you hold on, it's going to be all right. Amen. Luke 22 and 31 Jesus is speaking to Simon, and the latter part of that verse says, Satan hath desired to have you. That's his desire to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And the second verse, 32, uh, not so, so much of what I want to talk about, but I just love the understanding that we get here. But I have prayed for thee. But I have prayed for thee that they fail, that thy faith fail not. It may seem like, hey, how wonderful to know that Jesus himself, God robed in flesh, said, I know that the plans that Satan has for you, but I myself have prayed that your faith fail not. In other words, that you can hold on long enough that you can get to the end and realize that Satan has no power except what I allow him to have. If you hold on, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. But Satan, our enemy, have desired us, and he desires to separate us, to sift us as wheat, to shake us violently. Everybody, anybody ever felt like you've been shaken violently? I think we all have at some point. It feels like everything that you used to be able to lean on and to trust in seems like it has been violently shaken, and you don't know where to put your trust. Can I tell you that your trust can always be in Jesus? It doesn't matter who's beside us, against us, as long as our trust is in Christ Jesus. We're going to be all right. We're going to make it. Amen. But he desires to separate us, to sift us as wheat, to separate us from what? He desires to separate us from God. And he said, well, separate us from God. That seems so big. He just works long enough and hard enough that it separates us from truth separates us from what we know to be truth, even if for a moment, then it allows him into his ultimate goal, which is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Peter warns us, 1 Peter 5, 8, that we must be sober, 
we've got to be vigilant because our adversary, the enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We get an understanding of how his operation is, that he is as a roaring lion. I've heard so many different speakers speak about this and about old lions and young lions, and I don't care about any of that. I just know what the Scripture says, and I know what a lion is. We, we've seen pictures at least. We've probably seen something from Discovery at some point, and we saw how a lion operates. And they are very cunning. They are very smart, and they are somewhat opportunistic. And what I mean by that is that they're very patient. Satan's not going to jump on, more than likely, Satan's not going to jump on you when you walk out of a Sunday service. <laughs> Amen. But if it seems like he's, you're too strong at that point in time, you're too aware, too focused, he can wait till Tuesday. It's all right with him. He'll walk, he'll wait. You've seen it, and the lion goes along, he's waiting that the one that gets slightly separated from the herd, that gets slightly by himself, that is maybe overconfident, and he's waiting all the time, waiting for the weak one, for the distracted one, waiting for the opportunity. And so Peter is warning, he said, if you've seen a lion, you understand how your enemy is. He'll wait for that point at which you are weak, at the point at which your spiritual defenses are down, and then he will attack. And he said, Satan ain't going to do anything today. You're right. He may not do anything today. But like I said, Tuesday, Thursday, he's still waiting. He's still walking about. He's waiting for the opportunity. And he can hang in the shadows. He can wait for that perfect opportunity. So all of these things. Let's go here to Ephesians 6, 12. And we'll get to our next point here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, it becomes clear that he doesn't show up on our front porch with a pitchfork. That way you know, it's not, it's not a showdown at the OK Corral where you know who your enemy is. Like, I, I got him. It would be so much easier if it was that way. You know, that, I know that that's Satan. That's, he's trying to attack me, but he's much more cunning than that. And from this scripture, we can understand that while there are spiritual things at work, it is not often that it's just, it doesn't always manifest itself as that that's a spirit, unless our, our spirit is right. Maybe we're sensitive to that, but he often operates through individuals. He often uses those around about us to get us to that point that it can separate us long enough that his tactics are useful. And so he does that. If we go back to Job, it was uh, the uh, Sabine tribe, the Chaldeans. Uh, it, it, it was a natural disaster here and another natural disaster there, and then it was health. But uh, it wasn't like that Job could wake up and say, ah. I know, this is a spiritual attack. Man, it would be easier sometimes, wouldn't it? When your coworker says what they say, and you just lay hands on them and say, get behind me, Satan. Man, it would be great. <laughs> but it never feels like that. When your sp- I won't say our spouse. When I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and Sister Rachel just wants to lay hand on me, say, now I know that's not you, Jason, but it's a spirit at work. <laughs> And, you know, but that's often how he works. And it, it is it's that he uses things. And, and, and we find out that he used the Chaldeans and all the Satan used Chaldeans and others to, to come in and destroy what Job had. 
We don't necessarily find that it was Satan's, it, we don't see in the Bible that it was actually Satan moved upon Job's wife and said, hey, go do this to him. It's really going to get his goat. <laughs> we don't see that. We don't see that his friends were under the influence. But in this weakened state, maybe because of their own ignorance or their own doubt or their uh, faith was weaker at that uh, particular time, they began to be used. They fell into the plan that Satan had against Job. And so, you know, we, we do have to be careful who we allow into our, who we allow to speak into our hearts and into our lives. We have to be careful who we get because sometimes what seems like sound advice may be the operation that somebody else is only given by what they know or by their own weakness or by their own hurts or by their own ignorance. We don't see that, that Job's wife or that his friends were under some demonic influence. But from their own ignorance, they were speaking, and it was playing into Satan's plan to kill, to steal, and to destroy Job. So oftentimes, it's people. We've got to be careful of people. That just seems so terrible, right, doesn't it? We've got to be, you've got to be careful who your people are. Got to be. But it's, it's the instigator in all of these things is Satan, the enemy, the adversary, and, and, and what I'm saying by all that is to understand that while we might want to lash out at the co-worker about the one that has given us fits, we've got to understand that sometimes there's spirits at work. And, and I think maybe that's why God said that, that we pray for our enemies. Pray for those that despitefully. We don't understand what's going on at times. We have to be careful. So, no, I'm not asking you to lay your hands on your spouse. You can pray with them. That's fine. Uh, not asking you to cast out demons suddenly out of anyone. Uh, at least I don't, I don't think that that's what's necessary. We can talk about it if, if you're questioning. Uh, but realize that spiritual battles are represented as people. Balaam could not curse Israel. He could not do it. But he could use people to teach them to sin. So he's like, I can't, Balaam said, I can't curse Israel. I can't stop what God designed and desires for them. But I can have people operate in their lives that lead them to a place where it severs their relationship with God and thereby allows the people of God to sin. So when it feels like the church family is battling things, there are just struggles here and there's struggles there. And it seems like the body is just struggling. It's just there's so many things going on and there's maybe a joblessness here and there's maybe some strife here and there's some sickness over there. And it just feels like at times it's just overwhelming in the body. And, and maybe you don't even know what's going on, but sometimes, you know, just because of position that I'm in, pastors in, you see all of these different things that are going on in the body and you're like, oh my God, what, what's going on? And then something quickens inside your spirit and say, there is an attack because there's getting ready to be a blessing. There is an attack because Satan is afraid. And then it's a hint sometimes that, you know what, revival's getting ready to happen. There are some things that are getting ready to transpire in, in the body because why else would Satan care so much about what's going on? Hold on. Hold on. So it is true what the old Sunday school song used to say. And I don't know that they sing it anymore. It's old school. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Feet where you go. 
We can add it, whatever our children are doing, we can add it into a song and say, here, listen to this. I'm, <laughs> I'm speaking to you. Well, be careful, little hands, what you touch. So be, you know, we can, we, can, we, can, we can make up a verse for it. Dads are good at that. I like to make things into a song. I think just, maybe just to drive my kids to the slight edge of insanity, but into em- embrace the, I, I consider it creativity. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I'm going to, to blossom some creativity. You can turn anything into a song. But that particular song, be careful little eyes, what we see. And, and it is true. We think of it as a Sunday school song, but when we allow our, our, our eyes, our ears, our listening, our feet, and our different things to, to go into places, it allows Satan's tactics to say, you know what, they're a little more vulnerable than they've ever been. And now I can move in. I couldn't steal, kill, or destroy from them moments ago or hours ago or days ago, but now the opportunity is right. And so we put ourselves into that situation that he can steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, to wrongfully take property from another, often in a secretive manner. To take without permission or legal right with no intent to ever give anything back. It could be something that's left carelessly behind, not paying attention as much as we should, and it allows a thief to come and to steal from us. And it's done in that secret, and it's taken something that we were confident in, taken something of our possessions, our abilities. It's, it's, it's going to that shop building, and the door, feel, the door handle feels a little weak, right? It's something not quite right. The door didn't even seem to be locked, and you open it, and Realize your four-wheeler is gone. Now, maybe you didn't have one, so maybe it's your circular saw. But something of value is gone that you knew should be there. And then you're thinking, I've got to, what do I do? I've got to call the police. I've got, they're going to ask me when it happened. And it's like, it's been two weeks since I've even been in here. I don't know when this happened. It could have been two weeks ago. It could have been last night. I don't, I don't know when it was, it was done in secret. I wasn't paying attention. I got too casual, too confident, and I haven't been here in a while. And when I return to what I needed, it's suddenly I realize it's gone. Well, Samson, who got too casual with the power and the presence of God, seemingly didn't value it, got careless. He didn't mean to lose it. He's just overconfident in himself and his abilities. He's always been victorious. He's never had to lose before. And to destroy the enemy again, he wakes up out of that slumber to destroy him again, but realizes suddenly that it's not like it was before. What I had My covenant that I had with my God has been stolen from me, and I didn't even know it. How could that happen? Because I didn't value it. I didn't check on it. I didn't make sure that it was important to me. And so now it was taken from me unawares. I've shared some of these before, but I'll, I'll share them again. 2013, a bowl that was picked up at a yard sale in New York, New York for $3. You know where this is going, right? three dollars. Man, I'm glad I, you know, we get rid of unload some things. Man, Rachel, they paid $15 for that. I paid $15 for that. Ten years, it's a good deal, right? And, and I don't know what this family thought. Three bucks sounds good. And then it went to auction and sold for $2.2 million. 
How could that happen? There's no way they would have sold it for three if they'd known what it was worth, but they didn't value. They didn't know how precious the thing that they had was. The estate sale where it's an auction for this painting, and it's, the estate feels it did pretty good. $5,000. We did good. Grandpa would be excited. We got $5,000 for that old painting. It was dusty. The frame looked all broken. And then until it went to auction... million dollars. There's no way. 5,000 sounds good, but they would not have accepted even $5,000 if they'd known it was worth 5.2 million dollars. The Andy Warhol sketch just in 2010 that was picked up at a Las Vegas garage sale, and then it went to auction for two million dollars. Esau giving away his birthright for a bowl of beans because he didn't value. He undervalued that covenant, that relationship that he had with God. And so when it was stolen from him, he didn't understand what it would mean, what it would be like, but he got careless. Hey, we can't underestimate what we have in the present. We can't underestimate our covenant that we have with God, a relationship with God. We can't sacrifice and sell it for beans. We can't sell it for an extra hour of Netflix when God is calling and say, hey, you've got to value what we have here or else we'll sell it for beans. We'll sell it for three bucks for $5,000. It feels like it was a good deal until we understand in eternity the value of what we had and that covenant that we had with God, the power that we had with Him. You know, it doesn't talk about it so much, but what would it be like for Samson to wake up and expect the power and the presence of God to be there and for it suddenly to not be there? It's just and you know, it's not usually that quick for most of us. It's not that we go from this to this overnight. It did for Samson, but how scary would that be to get to that point where I've got to get into the presence of God and I can't. My power is gone because my covenant, my relationship has been severed. And so we, we've got to constantly take inventory that we don't let go of something unawares. We don't let go of something that maintains our covenant, our relationship with God, and not realize. Is our joy still there? Is our prayer life still there? Is our time with Him still there? Time in the Word still there? The the joy of the Lord is my strength, the Scripture says. Sometimes I think we undervalue even joy. And you say, He brings me such joy. Why? Because He brought chocolate-covered cherries and that's my love language. He, 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 those kids, those grandkids, they bring me such joy. And it's true. But I'm going to tell you that, that joy doesn't really necessarily have strength. But there's something that we can understand that the joy that comes from the presence of God is actually an offensive weapon. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It doesn't come from anyone else but from Him. So while we might feel some of the same feelings related to our children or to the things that a spouse does for us, it pales in comparison to the joy of the Lord because that presence can be used to do battle with. 
You say, what does it mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's that's, I think that's what was really in Job. He was going through all sorts of stuff. I, there's no joy or happiness that we look from the outside, but the joy of the Lord is his strength. So then it feels like when everything is falling apart and his wife's saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Just give up. There's something inside of him that boils up. It, 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 it's, it has to be the joy of the Lord that allows him to have strength to say, I'm going to hold on. The old, uh, I'm yet holding on. I'm not quitting. I'm not letting go. It is a strength to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To kill means to deprive of life, but I like the contextual meaning. It does not necessarily to make dead, but it means to deprive of life. I think we understand what that means, but to put an end to, to cause feet, or to neutralize. So it is not simply that we are in his way, it is not simply that he has to take our physical life because if he takes our physical life and there's still that covenant, that relationship with God, what does it amount to? Nothing. His whole goal is not necessarily to take your life. His whole goal is to take your spiritual life and your eternity because that's what affects God and that's what affects eternity. And so he, he, is, he is sufficient. He is okay with the fact that you still exist, that you still live as long as you have been spiritually neutralized. And so he will steal enough from you that he can easily defeat you and subdue you, that you're susceptible to temptation because he stole your altar some time back, and now we are susceptible to his devices. We are defenseless. We have been defeated, and we can walk maybe in and out of church, and he's actually okay with that. Hear me right now. He's okay if we walk in and out of a church as long as our spirit has been killed, as long as we have been neutralized. So while our body goes through motions, our spirit is dead, and he's okay. He's, that's exa- he's fine with that because we could go in and out and never be touched by the preached word of God, and he has okay with that. But I pray that there is something so hot in the presence of God that even a spirit that was dead, when it comes into this place, there was a glimmer, there is a spark that begins to be ignited and something begins to burn again. And it's, God, take me to an altar again, God. Take me to a place that I used to be, God. Don't let me be content with how I was, but God, let life be reborn inside of me. Jesus called the, the Pharisees, the scribes, he said that they were looking the part, but filled with dead men's bones. In other words, they had already been neutralized. They had already been spiritually killed, if you were. They were looked just like they should look. They had the letter of the law perfectly, but inside the spirit was dead. They had been neutralized. They were going through the motions, but no real feeling, no real emotion, just going through the motions. The ritual was what they were after. Samson was first stolen from, and then he was changed. He was chained, and then he was subdued. It was, he was killed, if you were. But he's also listed as a hero of faith. And that is, I think, that spark that can still be there, that even when it feels like we have been utterly destroyed, We've been neutralized. We can't see anything again, but we can still hear the voice of God. 
And so while he is bound, while he is grinding, while he is doing all these menial tasks, there is a covenant that is reestablished with his God. And when that moment comes, God, I feel your presence again. God, move upon me like you used to move upon me. And God honors that prayer because a covenant has been reestablished. Hey, I don't care how bad it or how low it feels like and how subdued and how neutralized you feel. If he'll do it for Samson, he can do it for anyone. Samson gave him no reason to ever do anything for him. But when he begins to recultivate that, that covenant with God, and he makes that simple prayer, God, do it again like you did it before. God honors that request. To steal, to kill, and to destroy, to ruin as if tearing to shreds, to put an end to the existence of by damaging beyond repair. It is damage beyond. It is that plastic toy that is made of the finest plastic that is backed over by the vehicle. It's, I don't know, maybe I'm just an emotional guy, and you just see the mystery of that little child, and they, Daddy, can you fix it? Daddy, you can fix anything. It's that moment they realize that we're suddenly human. They don't even know what that means. But even with some glue, even with some tape, even with some fresh paint, it's just, darling, it's never going to be the same again. It's never, it has been damaged beyond repair. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I didn't see it. Isn't it worse when you're the one that did it? When you are the one that stepped on the toy. Now, if you step on a Lego, I hope it gets destroyed. If you've never stepped on a Lego, you don't understand. But destroy them all, God. If it's in the floor, you take it up to glory. It's gone. If you ain't laughing, you ain't ever done it. <laughs> it hurts. But when you're the one that caused the misery, Daddy, can you fix it? I'm sorry. It's, it's beyond repair. I can't fix it. It's that scripture that I already read in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan asked to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I made supplication for thee that thy faith fail not. Simon, Satan wanted to destroy you, but I'm on your side. Job, Job, Satan wanted to ultimately destroy you, to tear you to shreds, but I'm on your side. You've got this. You've got what it takes. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't, don't let go. Don't turn away. I've got it. If you can hang on. I've got news for the thief, the stealer, the killer, and the destroyer. My God is a just God. And he can return what's been stolen. What has been subdued and shackled and made powerless once again can be filled with the presence of the Holy Ghost. And there is power in that spirit when it comes upon you. And the, the life that can look destroyed, my God doesn't just dust you off and hammer out the dents and put a little Bondo and a little fresh paint. He has the ability to allow you to be born again. If you can get the picture of that, he doesn't just put band-aids over what has been broken. He doesn't just uh, uh, iron out some things and take the wrinkles out and put fresh paint on it. If you will allow him, when you get in the spirit, he will allow you to be born 
again to be made completely new. That's what allow, That's what the Spirit can allow to happen in our lives. So I don't care what Satan is taunting us with, what he's stolen from us, what he's made powerless and certain abilities, what he's destroyed and taken away and says, I'm sorry, it's not repairable this time. We've gone too far. There can't be anything. Let me tell you, if he can raise the dead... If he can literally put life back into that which had no life, if he says he can allow us to be reborn, let me tell you, my God can do it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how long it's been dead. God can resurrect what has been destroyed. How can that be? Well, James gives us some instructions. He says, Submit yourself, James 4 and 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And, and, and I hate that a lot of times we start with resist the devil and he will flee from you. I tell you what, you ain't got nothing by yourself that can resist the devil. Oh, we like to talk about he has no power, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I understand what we're saying when we put it in the context of God. Yes, you're right. But by ourselves, resistance is futile. <laughs> we, we can't do anything without step number one, which is submit yourself, therefore, to God. Submission is not always a beautiful thing, but it will allow step two to work perfectly. Submission happens at an altar. Submission, we said, not my will, but your will be done. God, I don't like what you're telling me to do, but God, if that's what you want, then that's what I'll do. God, I don't like what you're saying that I've got to, I've got to do this differently. I don't want to do that. It takes more time. It takes more money. It takes more. God, it's going to be maybe even some more heartache, whatever the case may be. But God, if that's your will, I submit to your will. And submission may also take some time to say, God, what is your will? Sometimes we're too anxious to rush into what, well, I know what God's, maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but we've got to submit. And then when we submit to his will, then we have the power that allows the second part to work. I can resist the devil. And when I resist, he will flee. Now, let me say, this. There is no context for how long between step two, resist the devil, and him fleeing is. I guarantee you for Job, we don't know exactly how many days specifically, but I guarantee you it felt like years. But he continued to resist, and there was that point because he continued, he submitted to God, and he resisted the devil, and then there is that point where the Satan has to say, I can't do it. I don't. Or God says, Satan, you've had long enough. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> and so God moves into us and begins to nourish us again, to begin to touch us again. I, I don't think it's by any chance that Paul, when he was writing in Ephesians 6 and 12, and I read earlier about spiritual wickedness and high places and all of these things, and, and, and we understand this huge picture of what's going on, but it's in the context that Paul is writing to put on the whole armor of God. 
So you say, how does that work? Uh, what is all this understanding? We must put on the whole armor of God. In fact, Paul says, when you've done all you can to stand and you can't do anything else, just stand. Just stand fully clothed with the armor of God. Hey, when you are fully clothed with the armor of God, as long as you just stand, say, God, I'm just holding on. God, I don't feel like I can do anything else. I don't even understand your will anymore, but I am clothed with righteousness. I have the shield of faith. I have the sword of the Spirit. I, I have all of these things that I am equipped with, and I don't even feel like I can do anything else. Paul says, as long as you're clothed with the whole armor of God, there is value in just standing. There is value in just resisting. It's going to be all right, God can move in. God can do something for us. What do we feel like God can't do? Oh, I know the right answer. God can do anything. But when we're in the midst and all we feel like, God, all I can do is just stand. I don't even know what to pray anymore. Paul said, just stand. Don't be wavering. Don't quit. You don't know how to move, what to do, but there is going to be some direction that happens because of what has been clothed us in truth and in righteousness and in the gospel and in faith and in salvation and in the spirit. And there will be a day that we do more than just stand, but as long as you just stand, it's going to be all, it's going to be all right. Romans tells us, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Sometimes we just have to stand. We've got to submit and then resist. And then there's going to be that point in which the clouds part again. There is the sun that it seems like we haven't seen in a long time. And the rain stops and the seas began to calm down again. How is that ever going to happen? It only happens when we submit to God. When we resist the devil and then he can do some things. You realize there are two parts there. There's a part that, well, kind of it's all us, but we submit to God. But then there's that relationship that happens. But then the second part is all us. Resist the devil. Again, we have no power without the first step. But we have to be able to resist. We have to not pick up things that we really want to pick up. We have to let go of some things that we really don't want to let go of. But when we do it, then Satan has to flee as we all stand this morning. I heard Brother Wesley Robinette put it this way in a, a message that he was preaching a few years back. He said, the battle between David and Goliath was not a fair fight. We understand that, right? It was not a fair fight. But he put it this way, on one side was a giant of a man, not in stature, but in anointing of God. We only see the people side of things, but God sees the spiritual side of things. And there was something in David that made it not a fair fight because on one side where David was, it was a giant of a spiritual man that had submitted so continually to the presence of God. And on the other side was just a physical man with a spear and a shield, a sword, so powerless 
to what was on the other side. Hey, don't just be deceived by what we see in the physical. I pray, God, open up our eyes to see in the spiritual. God, let me see the things that I've not seen before. Let me see the angels that are walking beside me. Let me see the things, God, that you're doing that I cannot see. And that point at which I almost would give up, I pray, God, open up our spiritual eyes that allows us to see into the spiritual just long enough till we know, God, you've got this thing. God, let faith flow in this place, God, that we don't yield, that we don't give up, that we're not susceptible to the attack of the enemy, but when we've done all that we can do, that we stand fully clothed in the armor of God, God, and you will fight the battle for us. God, you are so good. You are so good, Jesus. Lord,